welcome to Her, the Health Equity and Reflection Podcast, an AMWA and C. Carter Fellowship production, where we hope to inform and uplift female changemakers in global health. This is a production of the Anne C. Carter Global Health Fellows. All views and opinions are those of the individuals and not AMWA itself. Thank you for tuning in to this fireside chat episode of Her, the Health, Equity, and Reflection podcast. In this episode, you'll hear an interview with an inspirational leader in global health, their origins, current projects and initiatives, and advice that they'd give their younger self. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Leah Fonte, and I am so excited to bring to you one of our new guests on our HER podcast. HER stands for Health, Equity, and Reflection, and was founded by student Dr. Emily Evangelista. Today, I will be introducing Dr. Angulio to you. He is a physician who has worked in, the U- in Uganda for greater than 20 years. He has worked to, with his foundation called KAIFO or Kagizi Healthcare Foundation with the goal of improving health status of the populations affected by poverty and diseases in the Kagizi region in Uganda. He is an incredible physician. He's done so much work to improve maternal and child health, HIV work in the area, and he's also partnered with so many students and trainees in different um, parts of their career who have volunteered to help with those initiatives. So, such a pleasure to have you on our podcast today, Dr. Nguyo. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, Madam Alia. Thank you for introducing me. Can you hear me very well? Yes, we can hear you very well. Why don't you tell okay, us a little bit yeah. more about yourself, Dr. Nguyo? Yeah, uh, my my name is Dr. Geoffrey Anguio. I'm uh, um, a, a physician, and uh, of course in Uganda we say general practitioner. If you have not really specifically, you know, specialized in uh, one area, but then uh, over time I've specialized in global health. Um, I've been practicing medicine for almost thirty years. Wow. And uh, um, I worked with the public hospitals for about five years, and I really felt uh, that was not where I belonged. And uh, 30 years ago, um, our economy was really very poor. And uh, of course, uh, giving explanation of that economy, and uh, after independence, during you know immediately after independence in 1962, mm-hmm. our Uganda's economy was one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Uganda's economy was bigger; the GDP was more than you know South Korea, Singapore, mm-hmm. Malaysia. You know those, those big Asian tigers, wow. and they even came to Uganda in the six days after independence to benchmark uganda had the best healthcare system best education system everything you know so was really very good but then uh, we had the government overthrown in 1971 Mm. and i think uh, many older people may know that uh, idi amin you know who was an uh, an, an educated soldier you know overthrew 
the mm. government and then took over the government and then brought the economy down. Oh, no. uh, the first thing he did was to expel foreign investors. I mean, the economy is all about investment, you know, how much money you have put in the economy, retail, you know, uh, all that real estate, you know, uh, commercial farming, transport, I mean, name it. So we had a lot of foreign investors in that area and uh, the economy was running very well. Uh, Uganda is right on the equator and the weather the, the weather is quite good. The climate, the, you know, uh, is very, very conducive. Uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, good weather all year round and uh, Uganda is the food basket in the whole of East Africa. <clears throat> Sorry, Uganda produces a lot of food, more than what we can consume, and a lot of that food is exported to Congo. All these neighboring countries mm -hmm. get food from Uganda. So that's really one good thing about Uganda. Now you can see when the economy came down, commercial, even commercial farming was not there cotton production, coffee, tea, all this commercial farming, you know, all came down. So that's really where our biggest pro problem started. And then uh, very many people, professors, doctors left the country. You know, many went to South Africa, Canada, other countries to work because there was literally no nothing in Uganda. So that's really where our biggest problem was. And uh, that was when I grew up. I grew up when Idi Amin was ruling. So I was young throughout the elementary school. So we were told things used to be good, but now things are bad. But then the good time, I wasn't there. I was born during that time. I was young. So I found myself in Idi Amin's rule. So literally, essential items were not there. We grew up not knowing about sugar, soap, all those things were very rare. You know, the soaps were empty, so the education system was so much affected. Mm -hmm. Then there was that war which uh, was started because uh, Idi Amin killed very many people, many educated people, professors, doctors. So now the, the African countries, it was a combination of African countries with the Ugandans in exile, they started a war to remove him. So he was removed from power. And then uh, uh, a new government, you know, was started. So that's when the economy started to get being rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, just the brief about it, that Idi Amin, you know, I was born in the northwestern part of Uganda. And also that is where Idi Amin was born. Uh, if you look at the map of Uganda, there's a river Nile. So river Nile cuts, and then when we talk of West Nile, then West Nile is northwestern region, which is cut by river Nile as it goes to Sudan up to Egypt. Mm. Now, Idi Amin had a plan to come back and get that small territory as his own country, you know. Definitely, I think the territories are either bigger than Rwanda or the size of Rwanda, I'm not sure, 
have not made those comparisons. But you know, some of those small, small countries, so he wanted to create a small country. Uh, by the time they expelled him out of power, I was 12 years old. And then uh, all the boys who were 10 years and above were forcefully, you know, uh, recruited to fight so that he regains that territory. But then unfortunately, that uh, adventure failed and uh, I was part of that. It was against my will. So I'm one of the first child soldiers in Uganda. Mm. So I went through that experience. Then uh, eventually when the war was over, uh, I, I was growing pineapples. I was able to pay my school fees in high school. Then I got a scholarship to go to the university. So you can see I grew up in a very poor family and they could not even afford my to pay my school fees in high school. But then I was able to pay my fees in high school by selling pineapples. So now, uh, when I completed high school, I passed. Uh, I, gave, I, I passed quite well, and was able to be admitted to the university to pursue career in human medicine. So now you can see, from a poor family where there's completely no hope, and then you become, you know, a doctor you know, in, in human medicine was a very big achievement for our family and also a very big achievement for our our village as a whole. So really that is a, a, a brief background about myself and then uh, that poor background really is the one that led me to start the NGO which focuses on empowering the poor people. Uh, this Kigezi Healthcare Foundation, KFO, we mainly focus on fighting disease, poverty, and a lack of knowledge. Here, what we call ignorance. So disease, we fight mainly through primary health care, mobile clinics. We educate people in the communities and then also offer treatment at the community level. Then poverty, we empower families, you know, economically so that they can take care you know, of their family needs. They can send the children to school. That is really the focus. And then education, we support education. We support children in school so that they stay in school. We give, you know, uniforms, uh, books, pens, and then a, a few of them who are completely disadvantaged, we even get sponsors to put them in high school. Some have completed nursing, nurse training, and all those kind of um, experiences. So I really left public hospital because as the economy was picking up, the hospitals were empty, supplies were not there. It was quite disappointing. And I felt I needed to do something better for the local person. That's why I started the organization. So I think at the moment, I can uh, stop there with the introduction then if there are few other things that need to be added, then eventually I will add. I hope that is useful. 
Thank you, Dr. Anguillo. Um, first and foremost, you gave us a really great um, history lesson about the economy in Uganda. You discussed the war, you, you discussed the leadership, you, got, you discussed how um, some of the decisions made by those in power ended up impacting Ugandans because of, you know, the because of mismanagement by those who were in power. You talked about your own personal story of being recruited as a child soldier against your will, and then being able to uh, defy all odds coming from um, a poor family, but being resilient and persevering, knowing the importance of um, completing your education and making a difference for those in your community. It's very powerful to hear that there was a time in your life that you were selling pineapples to help pay your school fees. And then you were working so hard that you were able to get a scholarship to the university. Um, I, I think that is such a powerful lesson and I'm so glad that you shared with us your journey and the things that you overcame in your life to get to this point. And now, as you mentioned, you've been in medicine for over 30 years. I, I, I applaud all of the work that you have done in medicine. And I, I would love our audience to hear a little bit more about um, Kaifo, um, and then even your work with the Child Family Health International trainees and volunteers. Yeah, thank you. Uh, when I started, uh, of course, the, um, like I said, after five years, uh, I left the public hospital to start the nonprofit. I really wanted my impact to be felt by people. I wanted to have authority on whatever I was doing. That is what motivated me to start the organization. And uh, by the time we started the organization, HIV, you know, HIV AIDS was at the peak. And that was when there was no treatment. It had a lot of stigma. Very many people were dying. So there was both health worker stigma and uh, uh, patient stigma. Health worker stigma is where a health worker knows this person has AIDS, but fears to talk. Because if you tell a person you have AIDS, it's like a death sentence. You know, it's like you are rude. How can you say I have AIDS? So we, as health workers, we always talk about cough, you know, you have diarrhea, we are treating this, when actually inside, you know, it is AIDS. Then for the patient, for the client, they also suspect that they could be having AIDS, but they really don't want it to be confirmed. They hope that let it be something so that there is hope for them to get better. So now you can see there was that stigma. And my first strategy was to break that stigma. So uh, I, I was the first person to make people come up openly because I kept telling them it it helps both of us. It helps us. If I tell you you have HIV, you believe you have HIV, and then I manage you as you know what condition you are going through, you know the status of the infection, and you have to come out and fight the stigma. So now you can see we started with the three people who came out, opened up, and then, you know, everybody was surprised. The relatives were surprised. But then these three people started attracting others. Even the relatives who knew their uh, people, you know, their children, their daughters were sick, would bring them over. And you can see from three people, 
within five, six years, we had over 10,000 people, you know, uh, registered with HIV. And uh, we are the first in, uh, in that region to start providing antiretroviral drugs, you know, integrated HIV care, all those. And then, uh, you know, over 10,000 people, clinic will be like a market. I will work like up to like 2 a.m., you know. So you just have a few hours of rest. So then I came up with the idea of opening up mobile clinics so that we decongest. You know, we open up clinics like 100 miles away in the different directions. Then all of a sudden, instead of people all coming to the to the city of Kabale or town of Kabale, then we go out to them. Then all of a sudden, uh, the clinic, the numbers were not that big. And then, of course, when we started going to the community, we realized people were poor. There was no family planning. Children were malnourished. So many other conditions. Sitting in a hospital arrangement is completely different from when you go out to the community. So now when you look at our work being integrated, it is we are looking at integrated solution because the problem is integrated. Now, many development partners look at problems in isolation, you know, have program for HIV, have program for agriculture, have program for, but they are not connected. They are not working together. But then at the community level, these problems are integrated and they need integrated solution. And that is what we are offering to the community. So that is what really made our program successful. We started getting volunteers and then volunteers helped us to put up this first website. And then, you know, we started talking about referring others. So the first students we are getting were volunteers. Then uh, from there, CFHI, you know, got interested because there was a lot of writing, you know, people do social media, blogs, and then we had engagement with the CFHI. Actually, it has been now over 10 years since we have been getting students from CFHI. Uh, we are getting in-person students. We are coming to Uganda. We get we get students all year round until when COVID came in. That's when we could not get students. But there was that transition to online. So now during COVID, we are teaching students online. And then after COVID, it has now become hybrid. We have both online and then in-person. So last year, uh, 2022, we were able to get the first students after COVID. And then this year, we go to more students. And we just hosted uh, two weeks ago, the dire director of CFSI, are looking at how can we engage the students more? Because we have so many things. It's not more about global health, but you know, it is about uh, economic empowerment, it is about agriculture, it is about animal husbandry, almost everything. So students can learn a lot. So we are having conversation on that and see how any student can come and have a place to learn and, you know, 
take our organization to another level. Our partnership with the CFHI has been great, and you are one of our, part of our alumni, and I'm happy that you are having this kind of, you know, podcast connections, really to engage a bigger audience to get to understand what we are doing in Uganda with the, with the communities, with the students, and the general population. Thank you. It, it, it really excites me, Dr. Anglia, to hear about the work you've done breaking the stigma on HIV in Uganda, um, and then also the work that you have done for years with um, trainees who have come um, to be a part of serving. You mentioned that it's not just the healthcare side, but empowering impoverished communities through agriculture and um, through through education. And on the Global Giving website, for example, there are a lot of those initiatives that show how um, uh, volunteers can be a part of, of either one or more than one of these initiatives that you all have started. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit more about um, those initiatives, but before we go to that, um, yes, I am so grateful that through CFHI, I was one, I'm now one of the alumni who was able to work with you and learn from you about maternal child health in Uganda. Last fall, we partnered together to develop pamphlets that were going to be translated into the local language and be able to help midwives, volunteers, and the women in rural areas. How, how did that go? Um, and have any changes been made to this pamphlet to just and, and help the women now in 2023, or is the same pamphlet being used from last fall? Yeah, actually, it is still the same pamphlet, and uh, of course, we we are not uh, able to print them because uh, we could not raise uh, enough money. But then uh, we were able to train midwives, and then volunteers and the engagement with the mothers is continuing. So now you can see uh, midwives have few copies, volunteers have few copies, but then we, just, we wanted you know, mothers, even if there is no physical engagement, at their only time they should be able to read, you know, should be able to have some of that information. So uh, we still have the challenge of raising money to print mm -hmm. as many as possible so that we distribute in different community points and then we get feedback you know into that and then the feedback will help us to see how we can improve on the pamphlet so as of now it's the midwives the volunteers using as we developed it definitely people are happy that they are getting some knowledge which is consistent but then uh, we have not yet got any feedback. We have not yet added any mat new materials. And we can only do that if we print more and it gets out to the communities. Oh, it's incredible that it's being able to still be used. And I really like what you said about feedback to add to it, to make it better, um, to improve the education of the midwives and the volunteers so that this information can be shared with the women in um, these rural settings. Um, along the lines of uh, needing to raise more money for printing um, copies of this for the women in, in these areas, um, how can people how can people donate towards initiatives like that? Yeah, uh, we started a partnership with the 
Global Giving, uh, they have a platform. Uh, actually, it is a, it is one of the best platforms. Uh, of course, we have to they provide the platform. We we come up with the innovation. Now, uh, part of what they do is match uh, at a specific times match donations, so that the donations <clears throat> coming from our friends, you know, become bigger. Uh, we have. Uh, those special programs in March, they call it little by little. Then uh, around July, what we call bonus day, and then the biggest is Giving Tuesday. So Giving Tuesday, you know, at times, you know, uh, they can put like up to $2 million. And then uh, when our friends donate, they match. So, which means if someone donates a hundred dollars, starting actually midnight tomorrow, Eastern Time, US, anyone who donates, uh, every donation will be matched. And then uh, we have also come up with the initiative of outside that giving Tuesday, people can donate this what we call recurrent donors donating every month. So when you log in, when you look at some of those projects, and uh, we are saying if people can donate a minimum $10, and then uh, our target is to achieve a total of $1,000. Now, if we get $1,000 to donate $10 only every month, then that money, $10,000 per month, can do 80% of the work we intend to do. Then uh, the other 20%, we can cover using grants and the rest, but you know, we are just looking at that modest, which is a long term. And then of course, every year, we'll just keep promoting, you know, giving Tuesday, those who want to give on that day, but then if even if they don't give on that day, there's that monthly donations, and there's a formula for global giving to match those donations. So if we have monthly donors, there's also a way where they match them. So uh, if that information can get out to the out to people, giving Tuesday generally is a time for giving, but then uh, outside that, uh, our main target is for people to commit to donate ten dollars. I know you are donating uh, $25, that is a big deal, uh, because uh, the delivery kit is $3, and a delivery kit, you know, $10 can support three women, you know, to deliver safely. $10 can support 10 children, you know, in an elementary school with the books, pens, so now you can see it has impact. Right. One dollar has impact. So we just wanted people to get that information clearly. And then they, you share the link with them. And then after they understand, then they see which option is best for them. Right. 
we can definitely share the link. Um, we'll make sure that uh, we have that link at, um, in our podcast if possible. And yes, it's not just donating, but you get emails every month or every so often that update you of how these donations, how your donation has made a difference. And so um, I think this organization, Kaipo, is extremely organized and it's a pleasure to be able to see what the donation is doing and how it's impacted communities. Um, if you know of anyone who would be interested in donating, if you know of anyone who wants to fundraise for um, improving health and reducing poverty um, in Uganda, please tell them about Kaipo, tell them about Dr. Anguillo's work, share this podcast with them. We would love for more and more volunteers, more and more people to donate, and more and more people to be aware of how much um, a, a difference, even like he said, 10 US dollars can be a month. Thank you all for listening today. I, I wanna thank Dr. Anguillo for your time, um, for the reflections about your life journey, about the state of healthcare in Uganda and about the way that Kaifo and CFHI and different organizations in a conjunction with your own have helped to improve healthcare um, in rural areas. It's really been a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Um, if there's anything that you would like the audience to know um, before we wrap up, I will just pause to give this time to you. Yeah, thank you for organizing this and thank you, you know, for our audience uh, listening to this and uh, we hope you share with your network uh, you know, if it goes to the network, if it social media, other people get into that. And then when they get interested, they can always get in touch with us. Uh, we get a number of volunteers so people can come anytime. Uh, when they express interest, we plan the journey together. All, you know, things to do with the visa, airport pickup, airport drop-off, you know. Everything, we have a good accommodation, good feeding, good security. We have, you know, game drives, people go for safaris, see gorillas, you know. Mm -hmm. So we are surrounded by very, very beautiful sceneries. So volunteers usually enjoy that. So I think uh, that is one thing they keep in mind. Uh, easiest travel is through Rwanda. They go to Chigali Memorial Site. You visit, you tour Rwanda. Then, you know, you tour Uganda. All those are part, part of the package when you come over to Uganda. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Nkuyo. You have sold you have sold it to us. It makes it sound so incredible, the opportunity to volunteer, to learn about Ugandan culture and civilization, and then the opportunity to explore and learn a little bit more from historical sites. That sounds incredible. Uh, listeners, we thank you so much again for your time, and we hope that you will check out Global Giving and be a part, not just of Giving Tuesday, but even Giving Monthly if you feel so inclined. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.